0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now, with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer.
1: I have a question for you Have you ever met Uncle Tom? No, really, I I mean that. Have you ever met Uncle Tom? Now, I don't really have an Uncle Tom. Maybe you don't have an Uncle Tom, but apparently there is a universal Uncle Tom. We've heard about him. We probably have never seen him, but you've heard about him. Who is he? How are we to understand who he is? And is it possible that Uncle Tom himself actually died, but somebody else with a different name called CRT, actually has risen again and is tyrannizing the American world. Well, welcome to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's a conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a little journey through something that may seem to be totally baffling to most people. It's called CRT. CRT, it's a theory. It's an idea. Some call it an ideology. Some call it actually a counterfeit religion. But whatever you call it, it has everything to do with supposedly racism. Just like Uncle Tom supposedly had something to do with racism, because if you were black and you didn't agree with all of the viewpoints of those who were black in that day, back when uncle tom was written about then you became an uncle tom and you did you disqualified yourself from being part of the black community well today on viewpoint we're going to take a look at that with a very very articulate black brother leonidas johnson Uh, i'm looking at his smiling face now uh, in, in the back of his book, which is an amazing book, Raising Victims, he says, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. So I want to ask you a question out there, my friend. Do you feel like a victim? Well, if you're black, you have to feel like a victim. It's required by critical race theory. You can't be your own person. You can't be your own person. It's impossible because racism is defining you, controlling you, and basically is your essence. It's pernicious. The word pernicious means deadly. Pernicious anemia is deadly anemia. And the, ra- the rise of critical race theory, CRT, is deadly It's anti-godly, it's anti-Christian, and it's really anti-social. So really, what is it? Today on Viewpoint, Leonidas Johnson is going to reveal the truth about critical race theory and how it is that it's creating an entire society of victims. And so we welcome Leonidas Johnson, first time here on Viewpoint. Leonidas, it's good to have you on the program.
2: Yeah, thank you, Chuck. I appreciate you having me.
1: Well, you have done a masterful job. In fact, you've done such a masterful job that I was so totally absorbed uh, in your book as I was preparing for the program that I almost missed the program.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's high praise. I appreciate
1: that. Well, yeah, and uh, you're located where, in Ohio.
2: I'm in southeastern Ohio, right on the border of Kentucky and West Virginia. Okay. We're we're, we're Kentucky light. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, Thomas Sowell, a very famous, uh, uh, well-known black writer, and uh, I don't know if you'd call him a philosopher, a sociologist, a commentator, all of the above. He said, we are among the biggest fools in history if we keep on paying people to make us hate each other. But isn't that exactly what critical race theory is all about?
2: That's exactly what we're dealing with. We are incentivizing this behavior that divides the entire country into victims and oppressors and pits those groups against each other. So we have white people on one side and then black and brown people on the other side. And we continue to push these narratives that one group is oppressing the other and we have to live perpetually in this system of enmity, and it's just it, it, You know, one of the quotes that I always pull from from Dr. Martin Luther King mm-hmm. is that: "Listen, I, either we learn to live together as brothers, or we will perish together as fools." And he said that during the Civil Rights Movement, at, you know, at a time when there was real oppression, when there was real, uh, real racism, real things that were going on. And he still saw that we had to, we had to figure out a way to rise above it. We had to figure out a way to come together and find unity, find racial harmony. Well, the as, I see, it, as I see it, as I see it,
1: Leonidas, uh, uh, the whole view of critical race theory (CRT) actually goes against the foundational principles and understanding as communicated by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.
2: And they say that explicitly. They say that the civil rights movement didn't accomplish what it set out to accomplish, and it didn't go about it the correct way. And the ideals that, that Martin Luther King pushed forward, the idea that we should judge each other by the content of our character, for example, and have this sense of colorblindness, they think that in itself is oppressive because racism has driven itself underground so people need to understand that critical race theory is the belief that racism is endemic in our society it's interwoven into the very fabric of our institutions so everything can be viewed through the lens of racism and white supremacy so by definition our, our conversation now
1: so by definition martin luther king jr then was an uncle tom (laughs)
2: yes exactly exactly (laughs) by definition but you know i i i i kind of dislike the phrase uncle tom being used as a pejorative because if you ever read the book uncle tom's cabin you know that uncle tom is actually the hero of that novel exactly he is the hero so when people call me an uncle tom which i get that pretty often i take that as a compliment because i understand (laughs) that uncle tom was he was the hero he was the the one you should look up to
1: well i have a question for you um i have uh, my eldest daughter who is lily white Married a man who was so black that uh, when she first introduced us to uh, her him to us in the evening around midnight one night she came to the front door and she said we would like to come in and I, I I looked around I didn't see a we I saw her and then all of a sudden he smiled so I saw his white teeth and then I knew who he was or at least where he was. So he walked into the house and uh, we were told that they were uh, wanting to get married. and of course I had my wife and I had to be make some decisions because we are both white, obviously. sort of pinkish white, uh, I guess you'd say pinkish white. And uh, so uh, they came in and the net result of all of that was that we have four, I'll say chocolate grandchildren. Now, their father was a chief, the son of a chief in Ghana, West Africa, that was one of the most notorious slave-trading countries. I have actually been to the slave jail and also the place where they were held, where they were dispensed to ships by sliding down stone uh, slides into the ocean. I've been there. So here's my question to you. Am I a white supremacist? We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. Friends, this is Viewpoint, and Viewpoint determines destiny. So the lingering question before us here is, am I and my wife white supremacists? Well, our oldest grandchild, uh, he now is a doctor and, uh, has risen to such levels that, uh, so rapidly that he actually began to present papers, uh, before he even graduated from med school. He presented papers to a gathering, a worldwide gathering of heart doctors, cardiologists. But he, something's wrong with that picture, it would seem to me, because his grandfather must assuredly be a white supremacist. His two brothers now are in engineering school. They have one year left. His sister is a nurse, well-practiced, his father is a nurse practitioner revered virtually as a doctor for 28 years in the hospital where he practices. But apparently, we're all white supremacists, even though four, five of the folk involved are black. How are we to understand critical race theory? Does it make any sense whatsoever What is it designed to do? Is it really pernicious or deadly? So, our special guest today, Leonidas Johnson, with a tremendous hardback book called Raising Victims, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory, uh, is joining us. So I have the question, Leonidas, am I a white supremacist?
2: According to a critical race theorist, or what you would call a crit, uh, they would say yes and it doesn't have anything to do with who you are or what your behavior is or exactly. things that you actually believe. So what people need to understand is they believe in a concept called cultural hegemony, which basically means that the entire system is built to perpetuate white supremacy and oppress everybody who is not white while benefiting white people. All right, so, so is, my, ex- is
1: my son-in-law, who is blacker than the ace of spades, darker than almost any other black man I've ever seen, Is he also, who was the son of a chief in Ghana, is he also a white supremacist?
2: If he succeeds in this system, they would say that he benefits from a system of white supremacy, and I've been told this specifically about myself. It's like, well, you, if I'm a victim, then how am I successful, and how do I evade racism? And they tell me that it's because I benefit from white privilege, and I I engage in white normative behavior. <laughs> okay, and I and so I have internalized white supremacy. So you, so and your in, in essence, have become
1: a black skinned white man.
2: Exactly, and that's what they said about Larry Elder. That's what they say about yep. Thomas Soul. I say that the white supremacy is on the inside. It's the internalized hate, self-hatred, is the way that they put it. So either you're a victim, either you would adhere to that victimhood, or you adhere to the oppression, and then you, you become an oppressor in that sense.
1: All right. So what I'm hearing then is that there's absolutely no way to escape being called a white oppressor. You are, by definition, By your skin color, you are, by definition, an oppressor, according to critical race theory.
2: Exactly. You have no agency. You are beholden to the system. It's what I call, or what what psychology calls, an external locus of control. You have no control over the outcomes of your life. It's the system that is operating on you. All right, so if this is the sin,
1: if this is the ultimate sin, you have no way of repenting of that sin. You can't, if you confess the sin... You're guilty as sin, but you can't repent of the sin because it is so deeply ingrained, more so than original sin from Adam, that you are eternally cursed by it.
2: Right. And it operates very much like a religion. You hinted this at the beginning. And the one thing it's missing is redemption. There is no redemption. There is no, you can try to pay penance. You can, you can bow down and kiss the boots of black people, but there is no real redemption. You are always going to be beholden to the system. So the only solution is to tear down the system and rebuild it from the ground up in a cultural revolution. It sounds to
1: me like there's only one author of a system like this, of a mindset like this, and that is Satan himself. Uh, Jesus said, the thief comes but for to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So CRT, by definition, is anti-Christian, anti-God, anti-redemption, and therefore has to be ultimately anti-black as well.
2: It is, all of those things, because it, it lifts up race as an idol, and it makes race the most important thing. In, in a person's identity and a person's a person's purpose. And it, and we see that throughout churches all throughout the country that embrace CRT. They replace the gospel with social justice and racial justice, and they make that the identity of, of their Christian walk rather than Jesus and rather than looking for Christian unity.
1: Well, how is it that the largest uh, Protestant denomination, supposedly a strong evangelical Christian denomination, the Southern Baptists, Uh, could embrace critical race theory. They've literally been in a religious war over critical race theory in their own denomination.
2: Emotional manipulation. As Christians, we have a sense that we want to do good, and we want to follow along the path of righteousness, and we Uh we, we want to do that. And critical race theory is very good about manipulating people. You know, I use Black Lives Matter as an example. People, Uh Of course, people think Black Lives Matter. Of course, people are going to go along with that. But the more nefarious ideology is hidden underneath those sanitized terms. So you you can't
1: say that all lives matter because that, by definition, uh, is admitting your underlying superiority and uh, white privilege and uh, white domination. So... Actually, there's absolutely it's, it's like a trap that has absolutely no exit.
2: Right, like a Kafka trap is the way that I put it. And it's you either bow down to their gods, bow down to their religion and capitulate, or you deny it and you push back against it, and then that's just more evidence that you're racist and a white supremacist. So there's no there's no way out of it. Either either accept it and then you're racist or reject it and then you're racist. You As can't, you can't even live.
1: have a legitimate discussion with someone who it's embraces that. It's impossible. It's
2: very, yeah, it's very difficult. There are some people on the fence who don't really understand what it is and they kind of go along with the surface stuff uh-huh. and you can you can talk to those people. The real ideologues, the people who truly believe in this in this essence uh, of the ideology those people are very difficult to talk to because it's completely emotional reasoning and they don't listen to facts. I had somebody tell me that statistics themselves were, that were racist. So I couldn't give them statistics or facts because the facts themselves were imbibed with white supremacy. Well, the you most know. recent, <laughs> no, the the most recent
1: uh, accusations are that calculus is racist. So we're going to eliminate yep. calculus, uh, that mathematics itself is racist that grammar is racist, Uh, everything is racist, that seems to show some difference between the performance of uh, uh, black students and other students.
2: So advanced classes, standardized testing, I mean, pretty much anything that has a racial disparity, they will call racist, and that's critical race theory at its root.
1: Wow. I I think a lot of people really don't grasp. Uh, I think it's just... It's so ridiculous, uh, it is ridiculous. so damaging, yeah. so dangerous, that I think people can't believe that any rational person would ever embrace uh, this concept.
2: And I think that's the problem. People, people don't think that the, they don't see the nefariousness of it, how, just how ridiculous it is behind the scenes. On the surface, equity and diversity inclusion those concepts seem good and they seem like something we should pursue but underneath you're telling a kid who uh, you know telling a kid who's not doing well in math class that the reason that they're not doing as well is not because they're not studying as much not because they're not taking notes are not because they need a tutor, but it's because of racism. It's because of the system that's operating against them, and so they might as well not even try. So we need to fix the system. We don't need to help the kids succeed. We don't need to give them tools to succeed. We need to break down the system itself. You know, it's this very, is so very disempowering.
1: I remember back in the 1960s where Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, who was a Democrat, by the way, uh, wrote... ...about what he saw happening within the uh, black community in America. He was very distressed by it. And he used a phrase to describe what he saw. He said, we're defining deviancy down. Defining deviancy down. And what he saw there in New York and Washington and so on was a situation where he saw the disparities... Between uh, what was happening in the black community with black young men uh, being arrested and and uh, incarcerated and the murders and so on. He saw that, and it was depressing to him. He, he was so concerned about it, and he said, we're defining deviancy down. In other words, we're accepting this kind of behavior that is actually destroying an entire community called the black community. Well, today... What he saw then has been amplified, and CRT has actually amplified that on steroids and then given excuses for why all those things are happening so that nobody that has dark-colored skin has to take responsibility for their actions. Do I have that
2: right? You have it exactly right. It is Adverse and negative behaviors – that antisocial behaviors instead of being rooted out and being ostracized they, they are reinforced and protected. Shelby still talks about this quite frequently. Mm-hmm. He tells the he tells the case of, you know, where black people where black people succeed very well in athletics like basketball, it's because there are very high standards and there's no excuses allowed. You're not a, you can't go to New York to some some street ball court. And make excuses about why you're, why you can't dribble or why you can't shoot Trying to blame the system. That's not going to hold up. Yeah. Like you have to practice, you have to work on it and you have to get better. And, but in math class and in, in school and reading, those standards don't apply. There's no reason why, like those kids can't succeed, but they're given excuses and they're given ways out. And I'll give you a quick example. Baltimore City Schools is run almost exclusively by black people. There's, there's, I mean, the superintendent's black. Uh, you know, Baltimore itself, the mayor's black, city council's black, most of the school board's black. And yet Baltimore city schools have such abysmal outcomes. I and mean, we're talking like 12% are proficient in reading, like 7% are proficient in math. And some schools have less than 1% in both. And yet those schools blame white supremacy. They blame systemic racism for those outcomes rather than looking at the culture and trying to ask them, looking internal and asking themselves harder questions, tougher questions about what needs to be done on a cultural level to help these students succeed. But no, we, we talk about systemic racism instead and give kids excuses for why they're failing.
1: Well, we're going to it's, dig it's, a little deeper insane. into all of this. Uh, so far, we've just kind of uh, been casting a, a broad uh blanket around what this means and what it looks like in general, but we're going to have to look at it in more more specificity. Friends, I want to urge you to get a copy of this book because uh this is something that is taking, it's storming through our country, the mind and heart of We the People. It is taking over even in many of our churches. It's taken over one complete political party. It is pernicious. That word means deadly. Raising victims, the pernicious rise of critical race theory. You want to find out what this is really about and understand it from a black man who obviously, you can hear, is very articulate and passionate about this. It is a $26 hardbound book, and it's yours for $19 on our website. SaveUs.org. SaveUs.org. Call us one eight hundred SaveUSA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, PO Box seven oh eight seven nine, Richmond, Virginia two three two five five. You're writing a check at five dollars for postage and handling, and we'll get the book in your hands. I really, I really, really want to recommend this book to you. You want to get a copy for your pastor? Really? I'm I'm not kidding you. Because there is a kind of social manipulation. It's a spiritual manipulation that is taking place using and twisting words, even the words of scripture itself, in order to carry on a nefarious agenda that is as destructive as anything that you could imagine. Everybody wants to talk about Marxism. Well, (laughs) CRT is uh, like... Uh, a new and more virile form of Marxism. So, get a copy of the book, $19, on our website, saveus.org. Now, CRT is an ideology embraced by race activists that operates from the foundational assumption that racism is endemic in our country... That it is deeply ingrained in all of our institutions, that it's intertwined in every fabric of our society, that concepts such as equality, neutral principles of law, and liberalism, individual rights, liberty, consent of the governed, are its natural enemies. And that must be rectified, not through incrementalism, but through revolution. Did you hear that, friends? We'll be back. I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's a conversation as always with ever increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Today we're talking about a very, very important subject that, uh, uh, a lot of people don't quite understand. We've heard about it. Uh, we have general ideas about it, but today we're seeking to dig a little more deeply and to understand the, the depths of how this is destroying The mind, the heart, the will, the spirit of Americans, both black and white. Both black and white. It's the belief, CRT, critical race theory, is a belief that racism is so pervasive that it has embedded itself into the normal, everyday operations of our lives, your life, to the point of invisibility. In other words, you can't escape it. Racial disparities are automatically attributed to racism, even if there's no overt racist act apparent. White people are said to benefit from a system of white supremacy, whether they know it or not. Non-white people are also oppressed by the same system, whether they know it or not. In other words, there's no hope for anybody. In this view... The fundamental operation of CRT as a system itself automatically perpetuates racism and disparate outcomes among racial groups. These are the basic tenets of critical race theory. So, as our guest today says in his book, it should be clear how insidious such an ideology can be. The notion is ridiculous on its face. Systems are not racist. People are. Systems do not engage in discriminatory behavior. People do. People do. So claims of racist systems are nothing more than a convenient boogeyman one can, one can draw from in order to explain disparities in outcomes without laying any responsibility at the feet of an individual. Black people struggle with math, so math must be racist. That's CRT's answer for every racial disparity. So in the world of critical race theory, the culprit is always the system, and the only variable that truly matters is race. So I have a question for you, Leonidas, and that is, are black athletes fundamentally racist? Because they predominate in every sport, almost every sport.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, in a lot lot of different ways. 83% of the NBA is is black, or at least non-white. And according to critical race theory, if we follow those tenets, that should be an example of systemic racism. It should be. But this is one way that critical race theory contradicts itself. Okay, but there's no
1: equality. There's no equality. There's equality of opportunity, but there's not equity in the fact that All races are not equally represented according to their population uh, percentages. Something is radically wrong with such a system, isn't there?
2: Well, again, if we follow the tenets of critical race theory, that would be the case. But critical race theory contradicts itself, and whenever you have black people that are dominating or a room full of black people or a film that's full of black people, Somehow that's okay. Somehow that is not indicative of a systemic racist issue. It's only when white people are dominating when we have problems. And so that kind of reasoning shows you how dishonest the ideology is on its face because it's not consistent whatsoever. It's only aimed at white people.
1: All right. So, again, uh, I mean, you've said in your book, blaming disparities on racism is just pure intellectual dishonesty, and I would agree with you. Uh, It's not that there is no racism, but to say that everything is driven by racism is to render society impossible.
2: Right. Well, again, you mentioned in your quote, you know, there are individual racists and, you know, people engage in racism on an individual basis. But the idea that it's widespread and embedded in our systems and it's driving racial disparities, it's it's ridiculous and it it removes personal agency and personal responsibility. One good example of this is police shootings. When people talk about the disparities in police shootings between black and white suspects, Mm -hmm. black people are two and a half times more likely to be shot by police, but they forget to mention the other variables. They forget to talk about the the differences in behaviors that that black people as a group uh, commit violent crime at over two and a half times or three times the rate of, of white people and which would account for the disparity and actually that uh, heather heather mcdonald says in her book um uh, that's a about attacking police off that they, black people are actually killed less often than crime rates would predict mm-hmm. but those sort of vary. so it's a very univariate analysis you're only looking at race you see like okay there's white people there's black people that's the only thing i'm going to analyze i see disparities must be racism. It's very superficial and very cynical in, in its application. And, again, it removes agency, it removes responsibility right. from the, in the individual. Okay.
1: I have, uh, back in 2005, the Lord put upon my heart uh, that, that a white guy, a true evangelical, Bible-believing white guy, needed to plead the cause of my black brothers and sisters in America— But from a very different standpoint than uh, the civil rights action and so on. And so I put together a fact sheet called A Portrait of the Black Family. I think it's about five or six pages long. A lot of small print. And one black pastor told me, he said, Chuck, that's the most powerful tool I have ever found to preach righteousness in the black community. But according to critical race theory, there's not, no such thing as preaching righteousness to black people, right. because they're fundamentally yeah. victims, and therefore, as a fundamental victim, they can't do anything but re, uh, have a revolution.
2: Right, revolution is the end game, and, and we go back to, to the police shootings example. And if I bring up those statistics and talk about how. Uh, Black people are overrepresented in violent crime, which explains why they're overrepresented in in police shootings. What critical race theorists will tell you is that, well, because of systemic racism in those communities, that's why violent crime rates are higher. So it's not because of the culture. It's not because of personal decisions that people are making to to be violent or or to be engaged in criminality. Mm-hmm. It's because the system has made them do it. They don't, so it becomes no, there's no way to get through to uh, to break down the argument. It's unfalsifiable because everything serves as evidence for racism, like any even contradictory evidence that says like, look, like this person decided to do this on their own, they'll still tell you that systemic racism Actually made them do it. All right. So systemic race,
1: racism is responsible for a 70%, uh, uh, unwed child birth rate in the black community.
2: That's what they'll tell you. Yep.
1: And yet, yep. and yet, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, before the Civil Rights Act in 1964, those numbers were dramatically lower. The black right. family was in Far more intact position then than it is now, to the point where ebony magazine, in its seventieth seventy fifth anniversary edition, came out with a an amazing statement that is right at the head of our fact sheet, a portrait of the black family and it says at that time that the uh the family the black family had deteriorated more since the Civil Rights Act than in all the previous decades since slavery. Now, how do you explain that? The greater the freedom, the less the oppression, the more the deterioration admitted by a black leader in a black magazine. And
2: this is why it's so dangerous to instill victimhood mentality and this sense of learned helplessness.
1: It's horrific. It's right. imprisoning.
2: Absolutely. It's completely destructive, completely dismantling. And there's the evidence right there. You see it. It creates a culture of learned helplessness, the culture of destruction, and, again, that, those sort of things should be weeded out. Those antisocial behaviors should be weeded out from a, a, a reasonable society. But because excuses are offered and protection is administered from politicians and DAs and, they, and that culture gets protected and it gets perpetuated and it continues to survive and it continues to just create a culture of victims.
1: So without acknowledgment of the underlying uh, behaviors – uh, sinful behaviors, even within a minority community, uh, there's no hope for change. The whole, the whole premise of the Bible and of salvation is repudiated.
2: And that's, that's the bottom line, until there's some introspection. And I tell, I'll tell you, that goes beyond racial lines, because there's communities of, of white people who deal with the same issues because they perpetuate this system of victimhood, this system of learned helplessness. Exactly. It becomes a, it becomes a generational curse. Though it, it extends well beyond race, it becomes a, be, a behavior that's perpetuated among generations. And I, I like to tell the story of Nemo, when he's stuck in the in the filter tube in the fish tank um, in the movie Finding Nemo and Gil comes out the the fish in the fish tank the the leader of the fish tank comes out and sees him stuck and you know Nemo has a gimpy fin and he's 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 a young fish he's trapped he doesn't know where he is and Gil tells him to swim out on his own which seems heartless on it's on the surface like why would he do that why would he tell this this poor fish with a gimpy fin to swim out on his own. But what Gil was doing was he, was, no, he knew Gil or he knew Nemo needed that sense that he had strength. He had the ability to overcome adversity and overcome obstacles and to do that on his own, that sense of personal strength and personal responsibility. And then he was able to do that. And then later he was able to save a group of fish because of that. Had, had Gil played into victimhood and played into the sense of oppression and woe is me and, oh, you poor, you poor fish with your gimpy fin, then Nemo would have had a sense of victimhood and he would not have been able to get out of that too at all he would not have been able to get out of the fish tank at all it would not have helped him it would have made his life worse it would have made him angry and resentful and vengeful and his life would have been it would have been terrible but instead he was able to become a victor instead of a victim
1: mm. well that's what god wants us to be and uh, uh he gives us opportunity he says yeah return unto me and i'll return unto you he doesn't say you yeah. can't return unto me because you're a victim He says, no, you return unto me, and I'll return unto you. That's the responsibility with the gospel. CRT completely undermines the gospel. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like?
0: incredible but the same can be found right now go to save and click sell church we can revive first century christianity for the 21st century it's about people not programs it's about a body not a building that's save click sell church
1: our special guest today here on viewpoint leonidas johnson uh... who is a uh fine young man, black uh, gentleman, with his hardback book, Raising Victims, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. He has done such a masterful job uh, in discussing this, in analyzing. There's no way we can get to all of it. But here on Viewpoint today, because you as listeners are a jury of our peers, we have to communicate this to you in ways that in... 55 minutes, uh, we can communicate the essence of what this really looks like and why it is so deadly. Uh, want to make the book available to you. It's a $26 hardband book uh, for $19 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 2 2- Three two five five. Writing a check at five dollars for postage and handling. By the way, Leonidas, this program, while it is live, is going to be up on our website this evening. That's saveus.org, and uh, after that, it will be up there for probably a year or so. So, all of your those that you would be interested in directing to this particular program today uh, will be able to access it. So, I remember back, uh, my wife uh grew up in Pasadena, California. Uh, in fact, we spent uh, 30 years there. I practiced law there for 20 years. And uh, it was in Pasadena, California. It was like a sister city to Richmond, Virginia, where we now live. And uh, the whole idea of busing came up. So you had busing that became a huge issue in Pasadena, California, divided the whole city and the region. The same thing happened in Richmond, Virginia. In the midst of all of that, my wife had gone to junior high school, and the particular school she went to had a large percentage of black students. She once went to her teacher who was black and said, I don't understand why we're not studying some of the things that my friends are studying in their schools. And the teacher's response was this. Well, my people can't learn that. That came from a black teacher. My people can't learn that. try, Try to assimilate that. That's long before CRT came.
2: Yeah, well, you know CRT is not something that uh, that just popped up overnight. It's something that's been brewing behind the scenes for exactly. a long time. That's right. It was uh, developed in the seventies and eighties, and uh, came from a tradition of critical legal theory and, and even critical theory from back in the back in the twenties and thirties. So um, and we, we talked about neo-Marxism earlier. So it, it's, it's something that has come from a tradition of ideological thought that uh, that has been around for a long time. Yeah. Okay. But,
1: so when we talk about equality and equal justice and so on, CRT is not about equality at all, is it? Right. It's no, about it's what is called equity which has nothing whatsoever to do with equality. In fact, it's just the opposite, isn't it?
2: It's the absolute opposite of equality. All right, tell us exactly
1: what equity is from the CRT viewpoint.
2: So equity is defined as equality of outcomes. So everybody has the same outcomes. And the reason it is the opposite of equality is because the only way to achieve equal outcomes is by treating people unequally. And one of the the progenitors of CRT, Ibram X. Kendi, Mm -hmm. who's a professor at Boston University in the face of the anti-racism movement, has said explicitly that the way that we remedy past discrimination is with present discrimination, and the way we remedy present discrimination is with future discrimination. Okay, So so, advocates for racial discrimination.
1: All right, so let's go back to Ghana, West Africa. Uh, Ghana, West Africa has a phrase is Me, which means, but for God. In other words, they have a very strong belief in God. Uh, they considered it the first African Christian nation. Yet, Ghana was a principal source of exporting black persons on the market, the slave market. As I indicated earlier, I have been in that slave market. Market. I've seen it with my own eyes. Yeah. And it's horrific. So the question is this Is Ghana, West Africa, composed of 100% basically black people, fundamentally racist?
2: It's interesting. When you bring up African slavery or slavery anywhere else, they don't want to talk about that. But it's a good point because. Slavery is an ancient institution that existed all over the world and has existed for thousands of years. And all people have pretty much every people group have been both slaves and slave owners at some point throughout history. Yeah. So falling back on slavery as a unique sin to America is, is nonsensical because particularly when you still have slavery that yeah. exists today. in parts Well, of the it's, di- it's in
1: absolutely Africa. dishonest. It's, it's dishonest. It's so I want to yes, bring up uh, a comment uh a number of years ago, a black musician joined me here on this program. He's a dear brother. Uh, in fact, he just called me today uh, to tell me some things about uh, what was happening in his life, good things. And uh, he said, Chuck, I believe that the number one problem uh, with us in the black community is not that we don't have equal opportunity. It's not racism. It's that we refuse to forgive. And therefore, we hold an eternal grudge, which makes us an eternal victim. And there's no hope for us unless we forgive. What say you?
2: I have a whole chapter in my book on gratitude and and, uh, perspective and recognizing that, yeah, bad things happened in the past, but we are extremely blessed to live in this wonderful country of the United States of America. And yes, he's absolutely right. There is a lot of anger and resentment and vengefulness among black people. And one of the things I talk about is when we talk about justice, the idea of uh, racial justice specifically, what that actually means is vengeance. It doesn't mean justice at all. It mm. means some form of racial retribution and and having some form of penance for past wrongs and historical wrongs or even perceived hypothetical wrongs that might happen in the future but god says vengeance is
1: mine god says vengeance is mine not yours That's
2: that's what god says but but critical race theory says this is the way that we uh that we fix our the past wrongs the past sins of the past we have to enact some form of vengeance some form of vengeance, some form of retribution against white people. And so that's why we have this sense of collective guilt and this sense of collective victimhood. So people are guilty even though they didn't engage in any racist acts. They, you weren't a slave owner, but you, because you are white you share a skin color with people who were, then you have to be, uh, you have to be collectivized into the guilt category, into mm. the oppressor category same thing for victims. If we go back into the
1: early 1990s, a movement began uh, in the church. Uh, I will broadly call it the racial reconciliation movement. And uh, out of that came a concept called identificational repentance. A friend of mine, John Dawson, was one of the proponents of that. Identificational repentance. The idea there was that we have been participant even though individually we were not in our time uh, others have become uh, downtrodden have uh, had bad experiences uh, became slaves and and so on and uh, so therefore as as uh, righteous people in our generation we can identify it is called identificational repentance and we can identify with our, our forebears and repent on their behalf to those who have inherited some sort of fallout from slavery or whatever else. So wow. that, unfortunately, I see, was actually the laying of the foundation for CRT.
2: Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. It's this idea that because of these things that, that happened in the past, we have to have some form of retribution in the present. And whether you engaged in it or not, or whether you had anything to do with it or not, it doesn't matter because you have a certain skin color. I say it's fighting racism or fighting the history of racism with racism. It's yeah. engaging racism and th- saying that racism has utility as long as, the, as long as the good guys are using it. <laughs>
1: Oh, right. Okay. So, uh, inverted. if you don't identify with the politics of CRT, then by definition, you are part of the problem. On the other right. hand, if you do identify with the politics of CRT, you're still part of the problem. Therefore, there's no hope for you. The only hope for the world and for america is a revolution do i revolution. have that correct
2: you have it you have it absolutely correct what they teach in colleges when they teach critical race theory is that there's an academic component and an activist component so they teach what the edicts are of critical race theory and then they teach the activism they send out the evangelists to go evangelize and what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to tear down systems that where they find racism, which which is every system in their ideology, then tear it down and then rebuild it in their image, which creating a communist utopia. That's the that's the end goal. So cultural revolution is the only option. If you're white, you can the best you can do is go tear help tear down these systems, because that's how you're going to. Uh, equalize yep. everything, and get rid of that racist history.
1: Which actually results in the tearing down, the intentional tearing down of the best systems in the world, given the sin nature, the best systems in the world, given the sin nature, and replace it with a God-less, anti-God system that promises utopia.
2: Exactly. That It's the neo-Marxist revol- cultural revolution. We saw hmm. a similar thing happen in China under Mao yeah. where they thought they could just erase history and then build up a new communist utopia from, from the ashes. And what happened is millions of people ended up dying uh, <laughs> and you know, he k- ended up killing more people than both Hitler and Stalin combined. And people don't really recognize, we don't talk about that much in the United States, which is Mm -hmm. interesting. Right. Well, they don't want to talk about it because it
1: defeats their purpose.
2: Exactly. Now, here's what breaks
1: my heart, because we can talk about this in a theoretical way and uh, in a broad brush stroke, but this has really serious practical consequences uh, for people. And uh, within the black community, uh, for instance, uh, the divorce rate, believe it or not, this may be hard for people to believe, but the divorce rate has been higher for the black community than any other people group in the country. Higher. In addition to that, the unwed pregnancy rate has been higher by far than any other people group in the country. Guess what two factors Contribute to ninety percent or so of poverty. Those two factors. Those Sociologists admit it. Those two factors: yep. unwed pregnancy, unwed childbirth, and uh, a divorce. They are the right. two factors that contribute to eighty to ninety percent of poverty. So poverty then is not due to racism. It's due to the breakup of the black family because of repudiating the biblical foundations that they claim to support. Right. So sexual promiscuity becomes a counterfeit god and a right and is underlying the destruction of the black family. This is what causes me to weep. And to say those things makes me a white oppressor. That just breaks my heart. Thank you so much for joining us, Uh, Leonidas. You've done a masterful job here. I really appreciate it. Uh, Trust that uh, God will bless you in your labors. Uh, You have a website?
2: Yes, leonidasjohnson.com.
1: That's pretty nice. Leonidas, L-E-O-N-Y-D-U-S, johnson.com. His book, a $26 book for $19 on our website, saveus.org, Friends we got to defeat this if we have any hope of this nation surviving. God bless and be a blessing.
0: You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and hope.